0: Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is part two on the book of Jonah by Pastor Sean Wood. If you'd like to turn to the book of Jonah, we will finish our two-part series on the prophet of Jonah uh, as part of our reaching out series. Uh, A question I believe that we don't ask enough. Uh, I used to get asked this question a lot when I had younger children. In fact, when my boys were young, I was almost able to convince them that anything was the case. I could, I could tell my children, my young boys, I could tell them anything I wanted and they would believe me just because they didn't really know any better, I suppose. But I think largely a lot of us have lost the what-if factor. What if, what if God is real? What if, what if God actually said what he said he does in the Bible? What if What if God actually is the same yesterday, today, and forever? What does that actually mean? Well, it means what happened in the time of Jonah absolutely can happen today. And uh, theologians, scholars, and historians agree that the greatest revival this world has ever seen is the revival that happened in Nineveh. Why? Because every single person in Nineveh repented. Interesting story. But there's a lot that's going on even behind the scenes with Jonah. I mean, you have a look at the life of Jonah and God brings a message to Jonah. Jonah tries to run away. And there's, there's probably people in this room today that are trying to run away from God. I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want anything to do with the call of God. But, but we see that God arrests Jonah. He interrupts Jonah. And we're going to have a look at what happens in chapters 3 and 4 of Jonah Today, John Piper says beautifully that God is at any one time doing 10,000 things in our lives. And Jonah highlights this, of which we may be aware of three. God is the God that is doing the work behind the scenes. We, I believe it is time for us as the people of God to live our lives more with a glass half full kind of attitude, <laughs> kind of... Uh, what if God actually will show up? What if God would actually visit this place? What if God would actually do the same as what he did the time of Jonah? What if, uh, I'm reminded of the story of Israel just before they go into the promised land. I love this story. And there's 12 spies sent into the promised land. And 10 of the spies come back and say, you know what? There's, there's some huge cities in that place. And there's some huge people in that place and their armies are strong and their weapons are many and their walls are high and their cities are large and God has brought us here that we would perish. Ten of them said that. There's no possible way we can take this land, but there was two of them, Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb that said, yeah, no, all of that's true. Both of them said all of that's true. The, The walls are high, the cities are big, their armies are large and their weapons are many, but we've got God. And today, there are many challenges facing the gospel of Christ. There are many challenges facing the church. But our God is big. And our God is able. And in the spirit of Mother's Day, I remember 2,000 years ago that there was a a lady that an angel appeared to and said, although you've never known a man, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. And he spoke about all the events that would transpire. And this woman turns to the angel and says, how could these things be? And in, chapter, in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, the angel replies to Mary and says, nothing is impossible with God. Jonah is the reluctant prophet. Jonah runs from God, as we saw last week. Jonah is brought back to the mission. And if you uh, uh, turn to chapter 3 and verse 1, it says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Our God is a God of the second chance. And how many, how many people in here this morning know that he's not only the God of the second chance, but he's the God of maybe the 400th chance. How many here have expired? Many hundreds of chances, but God keeps coming. God keeps being patient. God keeps loving us the same. Nothing changes. Nothing's different. We are the ones that change. Jonah points to the truth that if any time we find ourselves at distance from God, we need to ask the question, who was the one that moved? Joshua, uh, sorry, Jonah was the one that ran away. But God is the God of the second chance. God's calling is irrevocable. People may be sitting here saying, I've missed my opportunity. I've missed my chance. I've missed my time. I've had a go. I'm too old or I'm too young. God would say no. He's the God of the second chance. It doesn't matter what we've done wrong. It doesn't matter whether we've missed it. It doesn't matter how long it has taken. God is determined to form a message in all of our mess. The truth is all of us have mess. Even pastors have mess. And all of us, God is using all of us to form a message out of our mess. Because he's the God of the second chance. You might be sitting here today saying to yourself, I wonder what God has called me to. I wonder where God would want me. I wonder where my ministry and where my calling lay. Well, that's simple. Have a look at the mess. You might be sitting here this morning saying, well, my mess is I came from a life of of addiction and stuff like that. Well, maybe God's calling you to have a message to those that are lost in addiction because we see a runaway prophet who tried to put distance between him and God, tried to get as far away from God as he could. And what does God do with Jonah? He creates a message to people who are living distant from God. Our God is the God of the second chance. I love those words. There are some people here this morning that perhaps came looking for a word from God, and I believe that there is a word of God From God to His church today, and I believe we find it twice. In the book of Jonah, as we read on, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, arise. If there was, if there was a word that was for the church today, it is the word arise. The first time God comes to Jonah, he says, arise. And for, for anything or anybody to arise, it means that we, we emerge or we become apparent. And it is time for the church to arise and to become apparent and to emerge. Too long the church has been the sleeping lion. Too long we have the answer that people are looking for. And too long we have sat quiet and sat dormant. We have the message. Just like Jonah, we will see that God gave Jonah a message. God has given us a message today, just like he did Jonah. But the first thing he says to Jonah is, it's time for you to arise." Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. It is time for us as the people of God to arise. It is time for the church to no longer take the backstage, but it is time for us as the people of God to take the front stage. I, I don't know if anybody's seen the God's Not Dead 3, Steve. You've seen God's Not Dead 3. You know this quote that I'm going to use, but there is a portion in that movie where somebody comes and says, you know what, we're tired of hearing what it is that the church is against. Why don't you tell us what it is that you are for? And I believe that God has given us a message. You see, it's not that the church is against abortion or any of these things. We're actually for life. It's not that we're against redefining marriage or anything like that. We're for marriage. That's why we hold marriages in the place that we do. We don't want to change how it operates. We don't want to change how we word marriage or anything like that. Why? Because we hold marriage very dear and very high. We're not against any people groups at all. We're going to see in Jonah... Jonah has a disposition, and Jonah needs to hear, and I, I think we all need to hear, if there's one message that we will hear by the end of this, it's not all about you. It's not all about Jonah. It's not all about us. Let's have a look at what happens. He says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh according to the word of God. And we need to be living our lives according to the word of God. God has called us to live our lives according to the word of God. And the word from Jesus is the same as it was for for Jonah. And that word is for us to go. So many people are waiting for a new word. So many people are waiting for a new revelation. So many people are waiting for what it is, the new thing that God is doing and the new message that God has. Can I tell you, there's no new message. We just need to do what he's been telling us to do for 2000 years. And it is to go into all the world. That's what Jesus said. We don't need a new message. We don't need a new word. We have the Holy Spirit and just like Jonah, we need to live our lives according to the Word of God and we need to go. Let's keep reading on. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah speaks, we have been called to speak. The results lay with God. But God has given us a message. God has given each and every one of us a message. And it's interesting, when we have a look at the message that Jonah speaks, it's interesting, Jonah never mentions the sin of Nineveh. He never once mentions their sin. He doesn't once call them to repentance, and he doesn't once mention the name of God in his message. He just says, you're going to be overthrown in 40 days. Which is interesting. Jonah was hoping that they would be overthrown. We will, we will see that as time goes on as we work our way through these messages. But God has given us a message to speak. God has given each and every one of us in this room a message. It doesn't have to be profound. It doesn't, you don't have to be a theologian and you don't have to be, you don't have to graduate from seminary to be able to tell somebody, Jesus is real. He made a real impact in my life. Where I once had calamity, where I once had trouble, where I once had an unsettling in my life, I now have peace. You don't have to be a theologian to be able to tell somebody that something different has happened on the inside. My first pastor said to me, uh, because I used to argue with him uh, when I was a young Christian, I would argue with him regularly about the facts and the evidence for God. And he said, you know what? We can talk facts, he said, and we can talk evidence until we're blue in the face. He said, but one thing that nobody can ever argue is your personal testimony. Nobody can take that away from you. Nobody can take away the reality of what it is that God has done in your life. And nobody can take away from Jonah the reality of what it is that God has done in his life. That's why Paul would say in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, he would say that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the good news and the message of Jesus Christ is the power of God for people to be saved. All we have to do is speak. The results rest with God. So we keep reading on, let's see what happens. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. The people of Nineveh believed God. And here we see that the the results lay with God. I want to share with you something that I, I was listening to from Tim Keller. I think he beautifully explains uh, the process of faith that happens in each one of our lives. Uh, first of all, faith arrives in three steps. And the first one is faith that is understanding. And it's where we have, a, uh, we have knowledge uh, and we have information and it becomes for us something that we each and every one of us understand. It, it resonates with us and we say, you know what? I understand that. For us men, we need to hear it more times than most ladies. But the fact of the matter is, when we receive information and understanding comes, that's the first step, says Tim Keller, of faith. And the second one is where we move from understanding to conviction. And that's the process of where all that information in our head that we begin to understand drops down to our heart and it forms convictions in our lives. It begins to reshape how we view the world. It begins to reshape our attitudes. It begins to reshape how we treat other people. And it certainly begins to form convictions within us about how we see God. And the last one, so we move from understanding to conviction, and the last one is commitment. And this is the one that John speaks about in his Gospel, where he says 99 times in the one Gospel, he uses the word believe, and every time it's a verb and it talks about the actions of our life. It means that the gospel must have traction and tangibility in our life. Something deeply profound has happened in the lives of the people of Nineveh. And if there was one city in the time of Jonah, in ancient times, if there was one city, if you could put your finger on the map of one place and you said God could never do anything in that place, it would be Nineveh. These Assyrians, they were miles away from God. They never had a thought for God. They had no structural, coherent as it seems, uh, law and order system. These guys just did whatever they wanted. Sounds, Sounds a little bit like today. Sounds a little bit like truth is whatever you want it to be. There was no morality in Assyria. These guys, if it was real for you and if you could justify it, you go ahead and do it. We, we don't appreciate the fullness that Jonah faced death simply by walking into Nineveh. Let alone telling them that the whole place was going to be overthrown. But what if God... What if God? What if? What if that person that lives next door to you? What if? What if that work colleague? What if God could actually? What if God could actually touch them? This is why I love A.W. Tozer, because A.W. Tozer doesn't want to talk about God. A.W. Tozer says in churches we should be experiencing God. It's not something that should be foreign to us. The people of Nineveh believed, and I love how that that paragraph finishes, from the greatest of them to the least of them. That's when you know, if we can use the word revival, that's when you know you're in revival. When When the gospel deeply affects even the most affluent and prosperous people around you, you know that God is doing something in people's hearts. Charles Spurgeon says that the greatest adversity to the work of God in our lives is actually not affliction, it's prosperity. Affliction will drive you to your knees. Prosperity will set you up and fluff your pillows as you sleep your way into an eternity. The word reached, let's read what happens more. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe. Kings didn't do that in this day. He removed his robe covered himself with sackcloth, which sackcloth and ashes in, in ancient times was an outward expression of a deep inward grief. Oh, how we need to see a deep inward grief and yearning for the sin that so often floods even our hearts. There's a realisation of the gravity of sin. And it's an outward expression of just how much, how much sorrow and mourning there is for their sin. They, they cover themselves with sackcloth and ashes. And he issued a proclamation going further. The king of Nineveh issues a proclamation and published it right throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, what did the animals do? Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everybody turn. Let everyone turn. These are powerful words. This goes further, than, this goes further than, than give me your hand and give Jesus your heart. This is where uh, the, the gospel, this is where the message of God deeply impacts people's lives. Repentance, true repentance, is the gateway and the doorway to the God's presence whether you've followed Jesus for many, many years or whether you've never known of Christ, the the way into the arms of God is through repentance. I think William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said one one of the greatest dangers for the church in the 20th century and the 21st century is that we would have regeneration without repentance. You actually can't have regeneration without a deep, inward repentance. What was... What was the moment that changed everything for the prodigal son? It was the moment when he came to himself. And he realised the position that he was in. And there is a turning. You see, the difference between those that follow God and those who don't is not the fact that we're perfect. It's not perfection, it's direction. The evidence for regeneration is the direction that each and every one of us Walking. Let everybody turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Listen to these words. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented. We don't, we, A.W. Tozer says that uh, the one truth that would revolutionize all of our lives is if we realized we actually live underneath friendly skies that God actually desires and is more willing to reach out to us. We're going to see more of that as we press into chapter 4, but uh, God is more willing to relent. God is more willing to express his love to us than we are often to receive it. God relented. God, uh, for, the, for both the Ninevites and for all of us, this is God placing two doors, and we have the choice which door we walk through And the consequences for that choice lay on the other side of that door for both of us. And who knows so often that the door that leads to Christ is narrow. But very wide and very easy is the door that leads to destruction. So God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. Let's turn to... Chapter four, because God's not finished with his prophet yet. And I don't believe God's finished with us. As we, as we turn to chapter four, verse one, it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. <laughs> what? I mean, uh, this is on a, on a ministry scale. This is a home run, dude. Like you've just, you've just, God has just used you for the greatest revival in history. And not only is he displeased, but he's angry. And the word angry there is hot. And so many people say, I can't pray and be angry to God. You can, you, you, if you're angry with God, you may as well tell him because he already knows. And if you read the Psalms and if you read the huge portions of the scripture, you will understand it's okay to be angry with God. God's not going to leave it there, but it's okay to be angry with God. And Jonah's displeased. I mean, Jonah, what's take? Take the pulpit at your next megachurch, dude. This is 120,000 church in a day. And you're displeased? But there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect between Jonah and the people of Nineveh. There's a disconnect. Too often, there's a disconnect between the people of God and those that are outside of these walls. And God's going to do some heart surgery on Jonah now. Let's have a look at what happens as he, as he begins to expose Jonah's heart. Jonah was, <clears throat> but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Why was he on his way to Tarshish? Why did he pay the fare to get on the boat? Why? Because I know that you are a gracious God. What's Jonah saying? Jonah's saying, God, I know the minute you said for me to come here, I knew you would relent. I knew you would forgive them. I knew your grace would overcome their hearts. For you are a gracious, gracious God. What was the major, major difference between Jesus and all the religious leaders of his time? Nobody, if you notice, nobody was packing rooms to come and see a Pharisee. Nobody was dropping men through roofs just so that they could get them before one of the Pharisees. There was no short, stumpy little tax collectors climbing trees. There was no woman stopping at the well for the Pharisees. What was different about Jesus? Yes, he healed people. Yes, he spoke words with authority. But the big thing that was different about Jesus was he had grace. And for the Pharisees, who were built, built their lives on meritorious, earning everything that we do, it was offensive to them. But to the sinner and to the tax collector, it was the greatest news in the universe. That I don't have to do anything to find acceptance before God. He already accepts me. What an amazing story. And Jonah says, I know you're a gracious God. You see, Jonah has a disconnect because in Jonah's time, you weren't in covenant with God unless you were born into a Jewish heritage. You, you couldn't know God unless you adhered to the old covenant. And, and too often we say, well, we've got the God of the old covenant and we've got the God of the new covenant. No, you don't. You have the one God that made two covenants, fulfilled the old one in the person of Christ, the only difference between the two is Jesus. The same God of the New Testament was just as gracious in the Old Testament as he was in the New. The biggest difference that Jesus has introduced is we don't have such a speedy and hasty judgment nowadays. God's kind of put a zone up and said, there's an amnesty period where I'm going to get every single one of you the opportunity to accept Jesus. But judgment still comes. Jonah says, I know that you are a gracious God. (laughs) A.W. Tozer says, there are many attributes of God and you cannot separate one from the other. God is gracious, yes. God is merciful, yes. God is kind, yes. God is just, yes. God is sovereign, yes. But every time God moves sovereignly, he moves lovingly and he moves justly. I knew that you are a gracious God. God. Merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The truth of grace is, uh, grace is teaching, treating people as they do not deserve. Do you know God is really, really, really unfair? And everybody said, That's it, Pastor, we're out. (laughs) I can't find that in the Bible anywhere, but God's unfair. Because if God treated you fairly and as you deserved, none of us would be sitting here right now. And the biggest, the biggest thing with grace is grace was never meant to be a pool. It was meant to be a river. And Jonah doesn't get that. Jonah's more than happy for grace to be shown to him when he's in the belly of the whale. But when you send me to Nineveh, I don't want any more of this grace. I want you to burn this place. And and what God's teaching Jonah is, grace was always designed to be a river. It's supposed to flow in you and flow out of you. It's supposed to continuously flow in, yes. But you've got to stop building dams for the grace of God, and it's got to freely flow out. And if there was a people group, if you were in covenant with God in ancient times, if there was a people group that you would want nothing to do with, it would be the Assyrians. These These guys invented crucifixion. The Romans perfected it. The Assyrians introduced flaying people. They were, they were a terrible bunch on the outside, but God still loves them. That's the message. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Who knows that when God's asking a question, he doesn't want any information. I think we've covered this a few times. When when God comes down to Adam in the garden and says, where were you? God didn't lose Adam for a moment. God knew exactly where Adam was, but God wanted Adam to know exactly where Adam was. Oh, I was hiding. Well, why were you hiding, Adam? What's different? And now he comes to his... Prophet in Jonah and says, Do you do well to be angry? See, we all think it's a sin to be angry. Anger is not a sin. Ephesians makes it clear in your anger, do not sin. It's what you do with that anger, it's what you say when you're angry. God says to Jonah, "Uh, Do you actually do well now to be angry? Do you do well to be displeased? Why are you angry? And he begins to open the heart of Jonah and expose what's going on. Now we're going to have an object lesson for Jonah to work out. Verse 5 says, Jonah went out of the city and he sat to the east of the city and he made a booth for himself there. He sat under under the booth in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So he's going up there, he's going to wait 40 days to see what God does. (laughs) Too late, they've already repented. Verse 6, now the Lord God appointed. You're going to read this three times in this chapter. (laughs) The Lord God appointed. Here we go with the God that's doing 10,000 things in our lives. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Poor little Jonah. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Joy has entered Jonah's heart. I'm comfortable now and everything is well with me. And all of a sudden there's a joy and a light inside of Jonah because of his comfort. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. Here we go. Set your clocks. Verse 8. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. A little bit like what we have to fish in half the time. A scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah. So that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And he said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God says to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? God appoints a plant, all for the comfort of Jonah. Jonah begins to get happy and joyous on the inside, uh, all because of his own comfort. But then as we read down, uh, God wants to teach Jonah a lesson and says, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes. That's not a good way to answer God, by the way. Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Now God wants to expose what the object lesson is. And the Lord said to him, he says, you pity the plant for which you did not labour, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Now God's got a question for Jonah. And should I not pity Nineveh? And the word pity here is a deep sorrow and compassion. And what God's telling Jonah is, you know what? When I took that plant away, you had a deep sorrow inside of you and you had a deep compassion for a plant that you didn't labor for, and that you had absolutely zero investment in. But yet you love that plant. And you're sorrowful for that plant. And now God's saying to Jonah, should I not also have deep sorrow and compassion for Nineveh? Why? Because every single human being, God has an enormous investment in. A few weeks ago, we looked at the fact that God doesn't make anybody. He creates everybody. There's a difference between making and creating. Making is you set a process in place. It's a little bit like when I cook. There's a process that goes in place. We follow a recipe and my cake looks like a scone. (laughs) But when you create something, you say I'm just following somebody else's recipe, but when you create something, it's, it's, it's a thought that has to enter your mind first. Before some of our greatest artists paint anything... There's an image in their minds, and so it is for every person. And God has an enormous investment in every person. And God rounds out what he wants to teach Jonah with these words. Should you pity the plant for which you did not labor or make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in the night, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons, that was a big city, by the way, in those days, 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. The New Living Translation says, "Who live in spiritual darkness?" You see, if you read the Gospels, Jesus never once calls non-believers, never once calls them sinners, and never once refers to them as uh, as anything else apart from lost or blind. And what God is saying to Jonah is, "I have pity on these people; they're living in ignorance." They don't know their right hand from their left hand and I have called you to open their eyes. You see, I'm going to do a huge work in all of your mess, Jonah. I'm going to, You're going to jump on a boat, you're going to try and run away, but I'm going, to, I'm going to appoint a storm and I'm going to appoint a fish and I'm going to do all of this because I have a message that I want you to bring. And Jonah doesn't only speak, this is, this is where we need to get to. Jonah not only speaks, but it's it resonates in his life as well because God has done something deep in his life. Too often, there is a disconnect between the people of God and non-believers. There shouldn't be a gap and God has called us to tear down the walls, and to go and speak a message. And I want to challenge everybody here as we wrap up the book of Jonah. It doesn't matter what your life may have looked like. It doesn't matter what has happened. What we do learn from Jonah is this, that no matter what your mess looks like, God can and does create a message for somebody. God has called, just as he called Jonah, God has called each one of us, to take the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you that the the, the the gospel of Jesus is good news to people who are living without peace and without God? What if... What if God could do the same in Brisbane as he did in Nineveh? What if we began to share the good news of Jesus? What if we began to have... Open prayer meetings. What if we began to just love people? What if the same God that changed the hearts of some of the most sinful people of that time, what if he could change not only our hearts, but the hearts of the people of Brisbane? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have a message, a message of hope, a message of peace. Father, I pray that the message of Jesus Christ would go out loud and clear, Lord God, from every single one of us in this place. I pray, Lord, that you would create a message, Lord God, that so often comes from all of our mess. I pray that just like Jonah, each one of us would go, Lord, but go in your power, Father, I thank you that just like Nineveh, you have an enormous love for every single person. You have a love, Lord God, a compassion and a pity for all. Lord, I pray that you would stir us. I pray that you would light fires in our hearts. And I pray that the gospel of Jesus would reach the ears of those that are waiting to hear it. In your wonderful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast.